can open to um, the book of Psalm will be in Psalm 42. Uh, we're actually going to take a look at a couple of psalm, psalms excuse me, um, this morning. One to give a little context. Now, I'm taking a, a, a short hiatus from our, our series through Ephesians, um, primarily because pastorally I sense there are many in our body who are going through a season a particular struggle and suffering for various reasons. Um, this season um, is a time in which I wanted to share a little bit out of my own personal Bible study and devotions, uh, particularly out of the book of Psalm, Psalms and, and um, in Psalm 42, which I know I've shared with several recently out of this, but just sharing from you a little bit of my own personal observation and walk. As many of you know, um, when I was a teenager, my first, uh, first semester of college, actually I don't been there a couple of months, actually I don't know if I've been there two months, maybe about a month, uh, I lost a sister in a car accident, uh, just um, kind of your, your normal car accident, nothing uh, particularly distinct about it, but it's part of living in a fallen and broken world. And uh, Psalm 42, as I read it, it, as I got older, really spoke to me a lot about how I felt during that time. Now this morning, I, I'm hoping to share a little bit out of that, just to say to know, while that season is not where I personally walk right now, for those of you that are struggling and having to face suffering, trial, tribulation in the face right now, that there is hope. There is real hope. My purpose this morning is not about trying to come to some rational explanation of the suffering, the trials, or tribulations that you're facing. Often, such trials, tribulations, and suffering are not just readily explainable. It's not easy for someone to explain. You're going to ask questions like, why? Or why me? Or why now? Or why this? You begin to question yourself. Um, parents look at children that may have walked away from Christ and, and think, did I do something wrong? Is there some way that I failed? Or, or you may look in, in your life and go, where did I go wrong? Where did it, where did it go off the rails? What should I have done differently? Um, and I'm not going to give you answers to that. The short answer I give you is sometimes you can explain it, but many, many times you cannot. I look at circumstances and situations and people ask me such questions and I say, I have no reason I can give you of why you're where you're at. I can give you big answers. You're there because of sin. In a, in a big way, and the big answer is, yeah, there's sin. This, this world's broken. You were also there because of the glory of God. Do you remember when, when our Lord was asked, why is this one suffering? Is it because of him or his parents? And what did our Lord say? It wasn't because of sin at all. It was so that he could be used to show the work of God. And so it betrays sometimes our belief that sometimes our suffering, our trials and tribulation are caused by sin when in fact they're not. They're actually caused by God to bring about his own glory which for us sometimes is not a palatable answer. Couldn't you show your glory in another way, God? 
some way that's more comfortable for me. You see, sometimes we also try to ask this because I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to avoid it in the future. Right? It's almost like we want to do a retrospective on our lives. For those of you in the corporate or military world, you've ever had, a, had that retrospective meeting in which you analyze what you did so that you don't repeat the same mistakes in, in the future or you do the right things. I think sometimes we do that with our lives. And we're trying to say, I don't want to repeat that again, so I'm going to do a retrospective of my life. Now, I, I think um, my mother-in-law had very wise advice when she would ask sometimes, she's like, when I do this, it hurts. You know what she would say? Don't do that. <laughs> but sometimes we can't tell you what not to do, right? Because sometimes the answer is, it hurts when I live. And the answer is not, don't live. See, one of the realities is that not everything will be okay in this life. It won't. The reality is that not everything in this life will be okay. That is not what our gospel says. And someone who tells you otherwise has overtly lied to you. Not everything will be okay. Yes, some things will pass. Honestly, our God is gracious, isn't he? He's merciful, not only to the righteous, but to the unrighteous. Not only to those that are his, but to those who are unbelievers and do not belong to him. He is a gracious and merciful God that even in those lives that are in rebellion against him, guess what? Sometimes things turn out okay. They do. It's part of the perplexing part of our life. Why is their life okay and mine not sometimes? I follow after Christ. They don't. Why are they okay, but I'm not? And sometimes the answer, we don't know directly, but what we do know is that God causes all things to work together for good of those who are called according to his purpose. All things. Even the suffering, trials, and tribulation you face. You know, my purpose this morning, again, is not to be therapeutic, as it were, in my preaching. I'm not here to tell you everything's going to be all right. I'm not going to tell you the old song, don't worry, be happy, right? I realize for some of us, denial is not just a river in Egypt, right? That doesn't help you either. I don't want to just make you feel better by telling you things that aren't true. I want to lead you to true joy by telling you things that are true. I want you to be led to true joy by telling you things that are true. And I think this is why the book of Psalms is so helpful to us. John Calvin once referred to the Psalms as mirrors of the soul. Mirrors of the soul. Isn't it interesting, if you get it just a Bible, it's just the New Testament, and there's only one Old Testament book that's attached to it, when you get that print copy, you know what's always going to be? Psalms. Psalms. The book is just powerful in identifying with us. It has great poetry and great songs, and, and I think sometimes we read it and we, we hear Psalms like Psalm 100, there are these great praise psalms that praise God for who he is. 
And it, it, it can betray us, and, and we can think, well, that must mean we're, we're going to be happy and positive and always rejoicing. But I have to remind you, as we're going to look here in a, in a couple of minutes at Psalm 42, you realize out of 150 psalms, over one-third of them are, are petition psalms, asking God for something. And of those, 42 are lament psalms. They are lamenting what life has brought, what God has done. It, when you look at that, there is a large percentage of psalms that is not about being happy in the moment. It's not about rejoicing in what's going on right now. It's actually about lamenting. At times, it's about repenting. And you realize at times it's about complaining. Some of these psalms have actually been called complaint psalms. They are complaining to God about what is going on. There's a key point I want you to see here that the psalms is helpful for. It is appropriate and necessary to bear your soul before God. Hear me again. One of the things the psalm t psalms teach us but particularly the lament psalms, is it is appropriate and necessary to bear your soul before God. Now, there is an, an appropriate or righteous way to do that, and there is an inappropriate and sinful way to do that. But it is appropriate and necessary for you to bear your soul to God. You know why? Part of what you're doing is you're saying, God... I will not even hold back from you the things that I can't understand and that decimate my life. Your God does not expect of you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and tough it out. That's, not a, that, that's a great kind of a American mindset. Not very biblical, but that's how Americans a lot of times think of it. Now, don't get me wrong. A little aside. I'm all about perseverance and resilience. Those things occur in life, and they are biblical. But realize what God is not asking for you to do in your relationship is, I'm just going to stay silent, tough it out, and not bear my soul before God. The psalmist shows us very differently. But I want you to know that there's an appropriate way to do that. And Psalm 42 is going to be helpful in that way. And there's an inappropriate way, a sinful way that it can be done as well. I want you to see about these two ways, and I, the overall context of Psalm. And if you're there in Psalm, just turn all the way back to Psalm 1. And I want you to see the lens that you have to read all of Psalms through. Now, interesting enough, when you read the Psalms, they were edited together. It's not like they were all just written in order. You didn't start at Psalm 1 to Psalm uh, uh, 150. Part of the problem with that, it's about a thousand years from the time Psalm 90 is written by Moses till you get the end of the Psalms that are written right before they go into exile. <laughs> no one lived that. I mean, Methuselah didn't write the Psalms, so that doesn't count, right? You, someone else did. And what happened over time, they took these Psalms, Psalms of David, Psalms of the sons of Korah, Psalms of Moses, others, and they, they edited them together, and they used them as basically their what we would call hymnal, their praise and worship to guide them on how they would ascend to the temple and praise. Now what's important about that is notice 
the lens in Psalm 1 that you're supposed to take with you as you read through the entire psalm. Psalm 1 reads, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Remember I told you there's there's right ways and wrong ways to bear your soul before God? The way Psalms lays this out, and it, it, it goes hand in hand to what you see in Proverbs. There are two ways you can approach life and two ways you can approach God at a basic level. There's no third way on this one. You approach him through the way of the righteous or you approach him through the way of the wicked. So there is a righteous way to bear your soul before God and there is a wicked or sinful way. And you have to know that as you go through the psalm. See, the the psalms are written for believers, for those that that are seeking after God, that want to follow after Him. And so it's giving us instruction about reality and how things are to work. The lens that is set then is this way of the righteous, those who notice the words there, and it reminds you of Deuteronomy 6, those who walk and stand and sit with God. Or the way of the wicked, those who walk and stand and sit with sinners very simple to understand there is a righteous way to walk with God which includes on how we bear our soul to him and there is a wicked way a sinful way to do it you see the other thing it does is it points us as we read Psalms we know these two ways the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked there's another really key idea that Psalm 1 carries and it's the very first word blessed the word blessed here in the hebrew is the hebrew word uh, ashray which is very different than the other hebrew word that gets translated blessed barak now you know the word barak from genesis chapter 1 genesis 1 22 says god blessed them and said what be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth subdue it Barak carries with it a present reality of something that's to be done. And so there's a present tense to it. Ashray, on the other hand, carries a different emphasis in in nuance. It is generally used to emphasize future blessing. That the blessing you currently have is more about the future than the present. You actually know this word from a whole different context. In, in the New Testament, or excuse me, uh, in the Greek translation of Old Testament, Ashray gets translated with a Greek word, uh, makarios. You know this word. Blessed are the Beatitudes. 
You see, in the Beatitudes, our Lord uses this to talk in many ways about future blessing. 5.4 says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's a guarantee, but it has a, you hear the future tense there. There's a nuance of the future that may not always be true in the present. Now again, our God is gracious. Sometimes that occurs sooner than maybe we deserve, and he comforts us. But sometimes our God is a long-suffering, patient God, and he develops a long-suffering and patient people that may be waiting on blessing that's not here right now. And one of the things that Psalms really uh, challenges us particularly as it starts with Psalm 1, is to see that sometimes blessing, and many times it's not about the present, as in it's all going to be all right right now. The current blessing is because you have a hope and a future. And so I can feel blessed in the middle of utter destruction, decimation, suffering, trials, and tribulations. Because guess what? It will not always be this way for me. Because my God is a faithful God. Now I'm going to read Psalm 42 again. And as I read Psalm 42, my fundamental point is very simple. Hope in God. Hope in God. To say it in a more extended way, I want to hope in God because this is our confident response in the uncertainty of our suffering, trials, and tribulations. But you're going to remember three words when you walk out of here this morning. Hope in God. Now as I read this, I want you to, to, to you can follow along, you're going to see this, I want you to listen and see four things. One is, I want you to see this bearing of the soul before God by seeing, one, the personal address to God. You're going to see a direct second-person address to God that the psalmist used. Secondly, I want you to see the lament. I want you to see the bearing of the soul before God. Third, I want you to see confidence. You're not only going to see lament, and this helps us understand, how do the righteous bear their soul before God? They don't hold back the lament, but they also don't hold back their confidence in God. The last thing I want you to see is praise, and you're going to see this embedded, but I'm going to point out a very central verse of praise for who God is. That is, every psalm, when you read it, you find out it is doxological. It is God-centered. So as you bear your soul before God, you're going to see confidence in him and praise for him. So now, think those things, look for the personal address, the lament, the confidence, and the praise. Now let me read Psalm 42 to you. And I'm just going to comment a little bit as I go through. As a deer pants for the flowing streams, or as we sang earlier, as the deer panteth for the water, to use the King James. So pants my soul for you, O oh God. You cannot read the Psalms just to know about God. You read the Psalms 
so you know how to approach your God. If you only know about him, you do not know him. See, Psalms are for believers. They are for those who are going to go before God and say, Oh God, before you I lay my soul bare. But notice the words, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. Okay, sometimes we sing the song as the deer pants for water, and it sounds positive to us. And I'm, look how much I long for you, God. Do you hear the psalmist? That's not what he's saying here. God, I'm like a deer in the wilderness about to die of thirst. And I'm trying to find water and I'm seeking it out. And I cannot find you. Where are you? Do you hear the desperation? That's the kind of desperation we must have for our God. He's not a band-aid to patch us up. He is a God to be embraced and followed. And, And the psalmist is saying, I am desperate, Lord, because you understand what underlies this. You are what I want. Show yourself to me. Where are you? That is laying your soul bare before God. It is not going to God to to accuse him. It is going before God to say, where are you? I want you. I long for you. You sing that song. I long after you like a deer that's about to die of dehydration, of desperation for water. I'm at that breaking point, God. Where are you? Show yourself to me. And then he goes on. He says, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is my God? Do you hear the lament starting to come out? And there's this echoing accusation that you hear here, where is your God? It's like your circumstances, your trials, your tribulation, your suffering, they're personified. They start talking to you. Where's your God? You keep saying. Your God's not here. You're like a deer in the wilderness. You can't find water. Where's your God? And that echoing starts to build. Where's your God? Where's your God? Where's your God? Where is your God? You claim a God and he has no concern for you. He takes no notice of you. You're like an animal about to die in the wilderness. Where's your God? Do you hear the lament from the psalmist? I mean, look down. If you just look down, down towards the end, he says, I say, look at verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Hold a minute. How does an omniscient God forget you? The only way an omniscient God could forget you is if he chose to. Do you see the the laying, laying the soul bare before God. God, it's, it's like you don't remember me. Have you forgotten me? But then he says, 
while they say to me all the day, I'm sorry, as with deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries, what do they do? They taunt me. <laughs> your God. Where's your God? Where's your, where is he? Where is your God? Your God. Your God can't protect you. You, you claim he cares for you, but he doesn't care for you. He doesn't even remember who you are. Where's your God? It's like, it's like our suffering, our adversaries become like the bully in the schoolyard. But that's not where it ends. Look at the next thing that the psalmist does. Confidence. Look back up. As he looks, he says, these things I remember as I pour, in verse 4, as I pour out my soul, I lay it bare before God. I remember how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with loud shouts and songs of praise, a multiple-keeping festival. It's like this person on a deathbed. It's like, oh, but I remember when it was so sweet, and that points me in the right direction. Verse 5, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And he has to remind himself, hope in God. And do you hear the future blessing coming? Do you hear Psalm 1, that very first word, blessed? For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And he says it again, if you look down in verse 11, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil and within me? You have forgotten. It's not that God forgot you. You forgot God. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. What are the three words? Hope in God. You see, what, what we see here is then that praise that drives him. You heard he's like, I remember when I used to go up to the temple and I was leading them to go praise God. But look as you're reading down there in verse 7. He says, Deep calls a deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. This is the same type of terminology you see in Jonah, where he says, Jonah says, it's like God just rolled the ocean. He rolled me over and over and over. You can't tell up or down. Anyone, if you've ever been caught in like a riptide, especially if it takes you under and it starts tumbling you, guess one of the major problems is? Which way is up and down? You don't know. Your life is so in confusion and turned around. You can't figure out from down. That's what the psalmist is saying. Deep calls the deep is not a positive thing. He's saying, God, it's like you rolled me over with waterfalls, and I have no way to understand what I'm supposed to do. But then see how he remembers again. Verse 8. Oh, but by the day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Do you see there is a righteous way to bear your soul before God and a wicked way to do it? You don't accuse God of not being God. You don't accuse God of not being faithful. What you do is you remember he is the God that has given us a blessing that tells us this is not the way it will always be. Hope in God. Because that's how it will always be. Our hope will always be in God. 
here's two key points I want you to walk away with. Inexplicable and unjust suffering is not a reason to abandon God. Now, I, re I realize many do. But one of the things the psalmist is telling us is inexplicable and unjust suffering is not a reason to abandon God. It's not. Inexplicable and unjust suffering is a reason to do what? Three words. Hope in God. You can't understand it. You can't tell up or down. It doesn't make any sense to you. It is not abandoned hope. You are not walking into Dante's Inferno where it says, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. You are walking in the kingdom of God which says, embrace all hope in God. When you can't explain it, and it won't go away, and it won't stop, season after season, day after day, hour after hour, it is despair, it is suffering, it is trial and tribulation. You know what the psalmist tells us? You're blessed, don't forget Hope in God. He has not forgotten you. Do not forget him. Because he will deliver you. And it may not be in this life. But I guarantee, if you read Revelation 21, the new heaven and new earth is nothing like we experience with suffering and pain and sorrow. Because if, if it's true, and it is, there is no more sorrow there's no more pain. There's no more crying. You know, also, there is no more death. The very ultimate outworking of our sin is gone. So if you are facing despair, if you're facing uncertainty, if your life is in the midst of destruction and being destroyed, here's Psalm 42. You may be desperate. But what does the psalmist tells us? Bear your soul to God and hope in God. For you again shall praise him because he is your salvation and your God. Father, we thank you this morning that you remind us when, when our circumstances say, where's your God? When the wicked sinners, the adversaries of you, and our adversaries say to us, where's your God? We say, oh, we know where he's at. He is the one who reigns and is sovereign over all things. So my suffering and my tribulation, my pain, my sorrow, my despair, this may be the season that it does not go away, but guess what? I hope in him. Father, well in our hearts that we are people who hope in God. And God, help us. We want others to hope in you as well. Father, we want them to know the joy that this is not how it will always be, that our God is faithful. He is a merciful and gracious God that you, O oh Lord, you give us good things even in this life and you give us greater things in the one to come. Unhindered fellowship that you call eternal life to know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So Father, 
Let the Spirit work in and among us that we would hope in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and by the Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning we're going to have a time of response. If you do not know Christ, your hope has been placed in other things. If you think that this world can deliver you, I say to you, it cannot. But my God can. There is hope in life and death. And there is only one hope. Christ alone. If you've not embraced Christ as your Lord and Savior, put your full trust in Him and say, He is my Savior and my God. I'll be here this morning. Pastor Earl will be here this morning. We'll be up front. Come speak with us. Let us share the good news of the gospel. For those of you that are struggling with that season of life right now, I say to you, Pastor Earl and I are here, but let me just encourage you as well. Some of you may want to just come and pray together. Couples, there are many of you who are friends with one another. You just want to grab, you know, ladies, men, you may grab another lady, another man, and say, hey, come pray with me. Because I need to be reminded, my God has not forgotten me. I need to be reminded to hope in God. So as we sing together during this time of response, we'll be up here. If you need to pray or talk with us, let's stand and sing together.